0: Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built And We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the major places where you can find fine podcast content. You can somehow find Kyle and I. Please leave us a rating or a review wherever you do. Find us, share this with your friends, Somebody that you know is into Texas Longhorn news and sports. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who will hopefully soon thaw out, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you?
1: Man, it's cold. Uh, it's cold. It's cold. That's all I got for that. I, uh... Trying to get the heater working, my dude. It's, uh... It's cold in Texas. It's cold in my house. The heater go out. My Nest Learning thermostat not working. I'm millennial these things for a reason. I want to be able to control all of my life's things from my phone. I, I... I don't want to have no control over them. That's like telling me that I cannot have extra avocado on my toast. I just... I don't understand these things, Gerald. My
0: wife dropped our avocado oil on her way in from the grocery store and texted me one of the angriest text messages I've ever received from her because we're super millennial. Side note, avocado oil is incredible, and if you're using it to sear a steak, its high smoke point allows you to get a higher temperature and therefore a better sear on either side of the steak. That's your Steaks with Gerald tip for the week. You're welcome. Don't say I never taught you anything.
1: That's fantastic, guys. Uh, when you when you come to uh, to our our podcast grilling and chilling, um, you expect these types of things. When you come to our podcast, the Longhorn Republic, you may not expect it, but just know we got takes here, guys, and sometimes they ain't measured.
0: Not at all. I never measure the oil I use, or nor the salt I use when I'm I'm making a steak. But speaking of steaks, Texas is heading to Iowa. For this is Iowa, two stakes. I don't know. Whatever. It's fine. Uh, t- Texas is heading to Ames, Iowa to take on the Iowa State Cyclones, who are sitting at 5-4, and 3-3 three and three in conference play. They've lost back-to-back nail biters. They honestly should have beaten uh, Oklahoma on the road in Norman, but Big 12 refs are both incompetent and probably never going to be held accountable for being terrible at their job. So... Pass interference on a two-point conversion kept Iowa State from winning this game in Norman. And then they lost a tight one the week before, also against the state of Oklahoma, 34-27 to against Oklahoma State. Texas opens as a touchdown dog, even though they are the higher-ranked team. The last time Texas was an underdog, last three times Texas was an underdog, they lost. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to feel, Kyle. I really don't know how to feel.
1: Yeah, you know, it's this is the, this is the fourth time of the season they've lost three. They the, even worse. They only covered one of those three. Um, this game is going to end up less than a touchdown by the time the line finishes, which feels about right for this season. We can lose to any team in the country by about a touchdown, um, and if we beat, we can beat even the worst team in the country by a walk-off field goal. So we have a we have a range. This season unfortunately we kind of joked in the beginning we had broken our, our trend of of uh, rationing out our points just enough um, to uh, to try to uh, like a fantasy football free agent wire when you have to have to auction bet you know it's just just enough so you don't lose your points but you beat out the next guy that's basically how Tom Herman runs his teams um, we're back in that trend unfortunately uh, a bit but um, I'm hoping trends are there to be bucked. Gerald and I'm hoping that uh that Texas is 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 the bucking kind um I and I, I know you <laughs> the, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna leave that one alone um I know you uh I know you you're gonna have some stats for me but I just want to say come on guys they might be good their coach might be great they might have good players they might do the it's still Iowa State come on we're gonna win right Gerald Maybe
0: <laughs> definitely like my favorite romantic comedy. Definitely. Maybe. Ah. Uh, so I, I got to get a Ryan Reynolds reference. I don't know if I've made one on uh, on this podcast, but I he is just the best. Uh, so Iowa State offensively number 16 in the country in total offense, getting it done mostly through the air on the arm of Brock Purdy. They're the number eight passing offense in the country. Again, helmed by. A, uh, a really incredible passer in Brock Purdy. Pretty accurate. 202 for 295, 2,849 yards, 20 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Uh, doesn't do a whole lot of running, but can when he needs to. Uh, 251 yards on 74 rushes and 7 touchdowns. Now that 251 is held down by some uh, sack numbers because college stats are weird. Uh, running back Reese Hall is the guy that they go to on the ground game. Uh, that they don't do too often, but 99 carry, 609 yards, and seven scores on the year, averaging 36.4 points per game. Texas is coming off one of its best defensive performances of the year against Kansas State, who doesn't quite have the offensive firepower uh, maybe that Iowa State does, but do you feel any sort of confidence or any sort of way even after Texas really manhandled uh, Kansas State defensively?
1: Here's what I'll say. Iowa State... Is going to be well coached. They, um, they're going to look at that Texas defense and they're going to come in with a plan. I think Brock Purdy probably was a bit overrated at the start of the season about how good he truly was. I think you called that, Gerald. Um, but there were, you know, certain people, even guests of this podcast, but certain people out there um, saying, you know, could be a top three quarterback, five quarterback in the country. Um, he's dangerous. He's a very good quarterback. There's no doubt about that. His numbers prove out that he's quite good. Texas has a nasty little habit of uh making making average quarterbacks look great um and and with you know for instance Joe Burrow um, making great quarterbacks look even greater um so it is a little worrying um I don't know that they'll come in and manhandle they are healthier um you know and, and that that is good they have all the tools at their disposal um there is a there's a a stat Gerald that um, this season, Texas has allowed opposing quarterbacks to have their career high in passing yardage four times, and their second highest of their career twice, um, and their third highest also twice. Only Jalen Hurts did not have one of his one, two, or three career best passing days against the Longhorn defense. I'll say that again: of all the quarterbacks that Texas has faced this year, only Jalen Hurts that includes Tom Stewart at Rice. Only Jalen Hurts has not had one of his three best career passing days against this Longhorn football team and and specifically defense. And that's because Hurts was running for 700 yards on the ground against us. Um, Again, I'm not just going to be a pessimist, but they need to rise. They have a challenge in which they need to rise uh, to meet. So
0: I think something that that we'll have to see it and see what happens against Iowa State is that Texas really found something defensively when it switched to press coverage against Kansas State. Really, really pushing the the size and, and physicality advantage that um, that they had over. Kansas state and, and Iowa state has better athletes at wide out probably than Kansas state, but, but none of those guys are world beaters. Um, so I, am I'm, I'm interested to see what defensive scheme and defensive alignment, especially from the defensive back who are, they're going to be short of Jalen green for at least a half of football because of probably one of the most boneheaded plays I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, you can't just go out there and try to hurt folks. I mean, football is a violent game, but, do it within the rules but Chris Brown has been cleared to play he'll be he could have played actually was cleared to play against Kansas State they would have played him in an emergency he has a cast on his hand uh, but he's not really necessarily known for what he does with his hands more for what he does with his shoulder pads so that could be uh, interesting to see what Texas does in that and that's I think that's the that's what I want to see is what what does the alignment look like Texas really took advantage of some extra bodies in the box and in really pressing uh, Skylar Thompson ended up putting balls in tight windows and he wasn't able to do that in the second half.
1: Yeah. And, and so, you know, the question kind of comes back to which defense shows up. Is that a trend? Is that a significant statistical trend in which uh, Texas comes out and shows an entirely different, this is our, this is our, I don't know, last third, last qu- quarter, Uh, of the season defense guys we really rope a dope you all year by the way now this is what we do to people um uh, again I would love to eat some crow I would but but Texas still has two of the best receivers they'll play all season coming up the next two weeks um or quarterback excuse me they'll play all season coming up the next two weeks so I would usually say pressure I would say right here in this part that uh, the thing you want to do is you want to create pressure. Um, but we've shown our most strength on just being physical with the receivers, playing base defensive packages, giving a little help over the top for, for you know, young, young cornerbacks. So again, they're nine games in. They're not, not that young at this point, but uh, uh, that would be my typical suggestion, how you help those guys out uh, with a quarterback like Purdy, who can hurt you if you give him long enough to pick you apart. I have not seen the success rate with the blitzes that would show that that's going to be effective. I mean, you almost Joe Burrow him and just sit back uh, a bit and 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 say, you know, can you just pick us apart? Are you that good? Um, and in hope that our defensive line, which has been improving, can get some pressure and maybe with a fourth guy uh, coming. But 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 yeah, it, it's a tough it's a tough nut to crack. It's going to be a tough puzzle uh, to to put together. I mean, you saw against that. Against that OU defense, which looked like world beaters against Texas, Iowa State was really, in the second half of that game, able to do what they wanted, again, except when Big 12 defenses, or Big 12 officials, excuse me, the, the only people besides Weatherman who can be wrong uh, every day at their job. Um, you, you see a team that probably, in the second half of that game, just absolutely dominated OU's defense.
0: OU has not been the same defense that we saw absolutely dominate Texas. Uh, they have not been able to get pressure. Uh, Grinch's speed defense has been less than, I will say, than they have been in, in recent weeks. And so I think that is a differentiator as well.
1: Nine sacks against Texas in the games since all totaled one.
0: Yeah, so like that's that's a big telling set. Now, we do got to move on uh, to the Iowa State defense, which is normally where they hang their hat. But in the big 12, can anybody really hang their hat on defense? They're tied uh, for 48th in the country in scoring defense, giving up 25 points per game. Number 32 rushing defense, uh, giving up 128 yards per game, 3.7 yards per carry passing defense, number 74. Again, could you play in the big 12? So there's a lot, but the big stat, the one that jumps off the page for me these are this defense is a bunch of sack artists. Uh twenty-one sacks on the season, including outside linebacker O'Rion Vance with six and a half on the season. That is a scary, stinking number if I've ever seen one.
1: Teams that have like you said, nine sacks or I said nine sacks against so you teams that have gotten after this Texas offensive line have have been able to throttle some of the Texas, you know, really prolific offense. And so it is worrying. This will be This will be the true test probably with as far as handling pressure, you know, take the Grinch kind of outlier out of it. This will be the toughest test uh, for that offensive line this season uh, besides that. So this is, uh, like you said, this is make or break. Um, I don't, I think Vance, you know, if you get Cosme or you you get, uh, take him a little bit out, I, I think it's not just him it's not a one player is going to beat you they work really well as a unit um i mean basically the successful part of texas's defense came when Todd Orlando looked at what Iowa State did in their defensive coordinator um and and copied it i mean they're they're good and they run their scheme really well and they know how to maximize what they have out of their players so it's going to be a big big ask um for the the texas offensive line um to protect sam and it's going to be a big ask on sam that you 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 know you get the ball out of your hands you make the quick reads you get rid of it if you have to um and and you know you get up field if they're coming with pressure you uh, hopefully we call the screen plays and some things to to deter that like like it seems intuitive to do and hopefully we call that but if there's not then you get upfield, you let them come down and you you try to uh try to to hit them where they ain't and 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 get you know break through where where there's there's holes um in the defensive line and so hopefully that will be part of the game plan i'm 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 very curious to watch that matchup
0: the thing we have to talk about is the offensive line is playing with a new configuration this week uh because junior angelao is uh Week to week with an MCL sprain. From left to right, Cosme, Parker, Braun, Shackelford, not changing. Kerstetter at right guard, Okafor at right tackle. So that that is something that to keep an eye out on, uh, because Texas will probably like to be more two dimensional against uh, Iowa State to keep that defense, that, that opportunistic defense, on its heels and unable. I mean, Angellau is an incredible run blocking guard, so I'm interested to see. Uh, what the Kerstetter-Okafor combination it looked good against Kansas State. Let's see what it looks like.
1: Truly, Kerstetter, I think, had his best game of the season against Kansas State. So I, I, am, I am optimistic that he can play either of those positions equally well.
0: And I'm, I'm really curious to see what the communication looks like because that was the big breakdown against OU was the communication. Shackelford was on skates, and he wasn't communicating with the guards, and that's why those twist stunts ate them up. And so I'm interested to see, again, they've got – They've got a week to prepare. You know, Angalau is not going to be in the game. So we're work on those fundamental things in the offensive line. And it's, it's little things that make a difference when you're talking about offensive linemen at a, at a high level, things like hand placement, things like foot placement, things like how are they calling out the defensive alignments? How are they calling out the defensive shifts? How are they calling out blitzes that they recognize from film study? So it's not just the blocking and tackling it's, it's the, the the little things, kind of those those nuances of playing offensive line that most people aren't aware are there.
1: Yeah, and and, and I think the offensive line also just besides the pass game will I mean lead taking on Iowa State strength, which is stopping the run. They're number thirty two in rush defense. It's going to be those downhill run blockers, like you said. Um getting in there and 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 pushing the line back because Even though Iowa State is good at it, we saw the formula in this Kansas State game. Setting up the run really predicates all the the looks that the Beck offense likes to do. I mean, Tim Beck is doesn't matter how many injuries he has, he's gonna find a tight end to put out there. He's stubborn to it. That's what his offense will have. I don't mean to say, unfortunately, I almost did, but it is it is what it is. Um, And so, I mean, if you have that guy you're gonna need to uh you're gonna need to open up to give some different looks you're gonna need to use them in in the in the blocking you know run game you're also gonna need to uh set up the play action to get that guy whereas if you had another speedster with four wides he might be able to beat his 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 man one-on-one a little more frequently you're gonna have to do some things that get that matchup open a little bit with some misdirection get the defensive eyes looking the wrong place so i do think you can you know There's two battles of strength, and it'll be curious if Texas says, you know what, we're so good at ours, we're going to keep running the ball. Or they say, we're going to attack your weakness. So that'll be an an intriguing point. They're number 74 against the pass. So clearly that's, you know, that's where Sam comes. But these stat, we talked about the sacks. The stat that will determine is the third down percentage defense that Iowa State does. This is strength on weakness here. Again, Kansas State was a lead at this in Texas, you know, attacked it and, and did what they did on third down and, and extended drives and and you know got points that way. I would the opposite. Number ninety, Gerald, I think you pulled that out uh on third down at just forty two percent stopping. So that means Texas can uh can drive the ball and that gives you a chance to get DuVernay on third downs that gives you a chance to you know maybe get uh, third and shorts where you can run it on third down or give Sam an RPO so it it really opens up the Texas playbook and keeps the defense a little bit on their heels
0: and I think you mentioned the the third down success in the RPO something that Texas uh, I don't know they probably didn't install it for Kansas State but something that we started seeing more of is the zone read with the with the deep slant from the the outside receiver and Colin Johnson was in that spot against Kansas State and Colin Johnson on a slant of any kind, much less the deep slant, is a recipe for yards after catch. And he is day to day. On Monday there was how he tweaked his hamstring in another spot. So it's it's again we will find out what he's going to do uh, later on in the week, probably tomorrow when we get the 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 Herman injury update for the weekend. But I'm curious to see what, what that looks like and how Texas get, cause that is Colin Johnson underneath is a matchup nightmare. Like he's too big. He's there. He's got like seven inches on anybody that they're going to line up against him on the outside. And then if you switch to zone and have a linebacker trying to keep up with him underneath, he's going to run right by him. So that like, that's something I want to see Texas abuse and abuse and abuse. And everybody everybody bags on the bubble screens to the wide receivers because it's super obvious when it's not working and nobody wants to complain about them when they are working and they worked against Kansas State. The, the wide receivers got their blocks. Um, there were even Epps who has... Malcolm Epps is learning how to block. This is, like, his second year, third year playing football. So, like, he's still learning a lot of these fundamentals um, just because he's, like, a six-seven freak. Uh, he's still learning how to play football in so many ways. So, he will get better, and, and he got better. We saw it against Kansas State. So, that that, to me, is something that I really want to see what texas does on third down specifically uh schematically to get its receivers in space
1: yeah and that's a great point i mean we uh we we had a a reader uh, we we talked about colin johnson what he can do right i think we're making the assumption like you said that that he plays but um do we want to go into the replies of texas here and and i
0: think it's i think it's a good segue
1: because we had uh thank you jamie hayes for tweeting at us um asking if if should Colin Johnson protect himself and shut it down? And and this is a podcast where you and I have frequently said we will never fault a kid for getting theirs, for protecting their investment, their interest, looking at their future, thinking about the next level for their families or whatever. I hundred percent that we have always been aligned on that, but. Colin Johnson came back for his senior year. He's a man who loves the Longhorns, has it in his blood. His older brother is stuck around, uh, it seems like, for the past 15 years. You know, his dad, all the success he had there. The guy truly loves the University of Texas. You see it in his YouTube videos that he puts out. I mean, he loves UT. And he he crossed the 2,500-yard plateau in the last game. I don't think he's done. I think he wants more. He wants to give this team every chance for success Should he shut it down versus will he? I mean, I think if it's left up to him and he feels even 85%, 80%, he's going to go if he thinks that gives the team the best chance, at least in my opinion.
0: Colin Johnson, like you said, is a guy who absolutely loves the University of Texas. He loves – and you only get a shot to play in that uniform for – Four years, right? Four, four or five years is all you've got to play, uh, and and he looks like he's having fun. He looks like he's having the best time of his career out there, uh, and so I'm I I don't I don't want him to. But again, if he's like absolutely I've I've got a future to think about, more power to you. Like, but I I don't think it's likely. With just who who we know him to be and, and the love he has for the University of Texas, I again I will I will eat crow next week if if it's like yep he's shutting it down for the year, whatever I'm fine with it. What, but I I don't think it happens.
1: Yeah, I think th- yeah I I agree. I think we're I think we're aligned there. And again, I think we're optimists and we're knocking on wood and crossing our fingers and and, and praying to each of our uh, respected deities and we are. Um, trusting in the team doctors and hoping that Colin truly just gets through this. They're treating it aggressively um, and that, that he's feeling he's feeling good. And that's not a a concern um, because I think we've talked about it numerous times on this podcast. It is not his yards. It is not his place. It is his presence more than anything that opens up duvernay eagles you know jake smith the tight ends the running backs on the wheel routes basically everything works when especially you think about an iowa state defense that kind of runs a modified tampa two. um they they shade one of those safeties uh over over to colin and and try to um say all right that's what we'll give up and and the rest of you need to beat us and that really uh opens up a lot of the rest of the offense so it's just it's We have said it many times, which you can't overstate how important he is to what UT does.
0: The yardage isn't the most important thing he does, but when Colin Johnson is on, he is really, really good, and he is able to make uh, some of those circus catches. So, Kyle, I think it's time that we fire Smokey. What is your prediction for Texas against Iowa State? Where are you blowing the cannon on?
1: I think it's a good segue. I think... When we talk about this defense, and we just talked a lot about Colin Johnson and where exactly he will be, it leads me to believe that the coaches all know that you need to get something else going in this game like I just talked about. Last week against Kansas State, you basically had two 100-yard receivers and and I think nine and ten catches in, in, in Kojo and Devin the Doof fantastic performances. You've had consecutive 100-yard performances, I think, for both of those. Um, Players, you just have uh, you're getting a lot out of your two senior captain, big-time players. However, we've seen a little bit of a lull, a little bit of a regression from the other weapons. Brennan Eagles, after missing a week, only had, I think, two catches. Um, Last week, um, Jake Smith, after having some ball security issues both uh, in in receiving as well as uh, especially in the return game has kind of seen his role reduced uh, a bit and then um, again with uh, the the injury uh, to the season f- to uh, to our tight end number one basically you you haven't seen that position kind of ratchet up and so it's been forced that either we run the ball which we did last week to a plum or we throw to the big two my that's all to say to lay the table my firing Smokey is that a non big two receiver will have a game-changing impact in this game. I don't know if that's going to be Eagles. I don't know if it's going to be one of our running backs coming out of the backfield. And I say that hint, hint, wink, wink with Jordan Whittington potentially coming back. Uh, he was kind of you know, cleared to play last week and, and suited up but didn't play. Maybe this is the week where he's unleashed uh, onto uh, unsuspecting defenses and he gets out there either in the slot or out of the backfield and, and really does some damage. But I just think I, I'm not going to sit here and say who it is. I think we are going to see a game-changing, game-breaking performance from someone in the in the passing game other than the two unbelievably known quantities that we have um, in, our, in our number one and number two receiver.
0: A more stringent co-host would maybe make you be a little more decisive on (laughs) who that's going to be. But I would never, never do that to you, Kyle. Uh, So I am firing Smokey this week. Face of the game that we've talked about already, but I think Keontae is going to go have another little bit of a game. I don't think he's going to hit his career high again, but I think Keontae is going to go over 100 Yet again, pro- I'm saying like 110 hmm. and probably two scores is what feels right. Uh, and Texas is able to keep some balance. And really why I think that's going to happen is because the R of the RPO is going to be a better option because I think uh, Iowa State's going to sell out to stop the pass on those RPOs. So I think it's going to create some space for Keontae uh, to, to, to do a little something.
1: Well, I like that a lot. I mean, it's I, I will give Iowa State's defense credit. They have been innovators. So it, it, they kind of set the the playbook like we said about how you you stop the air raid the spread um kind of big 12 offense and and I would not be surprised if they you know pull something out against the RPO that's that's pretty um pretty impressive and different than what we've we've seen in the past I do hope that that means that if we're not able to get those passes that it opens up the running game and I absolutely hope you're right because I think not only for the game but for Keontae to have that back-to-back would be a pretty impressive kind of momentum uh, train to get started for him, heading into um, two must win games and then if you know if you do all that right, the postseason. so could could be a really, really crucial tipping point for him.
0: Absolutely. So Texas, after practicing outside this week to uh, prepare them for the chilly weather in Ames, Iowa, heads up north uh, to hopefully come away with a win. It's not a night game. Yes and amen. it's a 230 kickoff on Saturday against the Iowa State cyclone. So Texas looking to keep its hopes at a big 12 championship game Birth alive after winning against Iowa State.
1: All right, so now it is what you all come here for on your Thursdays. you've been going through the week. you need that little bit of hope. Here is the burnt orange lenses and we this one is timely as uh, as you're listening to this podcast, you will have just enough time to prepare for a Friday evening event. Texas soccer is making its third straight visit to the NCAA tournament. And there's a bit of a rivalry on this one, Gerald. They are making the short trip up the road to College Station, Texas to renew the rivalry with the Texas A&M Lady Ags. So Gerald, you going to be tuning in for a chance to hate some Aggies?
0: I'm always available for a chance to hate some Aggies. Uh, I've got a kid and a wife, and so I got to figure out when when she would like to spend some time with me. But if she's not, uh, if she's not wanting Friday night, then I will definitely uh, tune in and and say all sorts of mean things to the TV because my my son will probably not be awake.
1: <laughs> I love that. All right, so um, moving along, we had some uh, back to football a little bit. We had some senior bowl invites that were accepted this week. Um, really exciting for these guys—three seniors who are captains who probably. I don't know about uh, all of them, but from at least two out of the three had some point considerations of going to the next level last year. So um, having good senior seasons, Colin Johnson, Devin DuVernay, and Brandon Jones all received invites to this year's Senior Bowl. In games that actually happened, uh, OU uh, did get a win this week. They they continue to, to keep us on the edge of our seats. Um, when Texas isn't playing and we watch around the Big 12, Gerald referenced it earlier, a forty-two forty-one victory over Iowa State that was, it was tough as a t as a fan. I assume we all are fans that that want OU to lose every single game that they play of all time period, no exceptions. Um, even if Iowa State is our opponent next week, uh, it was a tough one. I felt for I felt for Iowa State fans because. There was a lot of points in which this could have gone the other way.
0: Uh, there was one specific point where it should have gone the other way, and big the Big 12 continues to be inept. Didn't release a statement early in the week about this, as they should have. The Iowa State wide receiver was tackled before the ball got there, and the player who tackled him was the one that made the interception uh, because the Big 12 referees and uh, the conference overall are kind of trash.
1: And I'll say this it isn't just the Big 12 refs, right? The Pac 12 refs had an issue where they, they uh, called a penalty, enforced it against Washington State when it should have been against Cal, but on Monday they released a statement and said, hey, instead of getting the ball in the 31 or whatever, they got it on the 8, that was on us, we messed up. Hey, you can mess up, guys, it's okay. Just own it. Go ahead and admit it when you, you know, screw a team out of a rightful victory uh, or otherwise. Um, Hashtag defensive holding Um, on our tackles. But anyways, moving on to the games last week. Bumping Charlie Strong. (laughs) Baylor, somehow, inexplicably, unbelievably, we'll talk about this a little bit in our preview of Baylor and their strength of their, their wins thus far. But nonetheless, all that matters is getting the dub. 9-0 Nine and zero in the most unimpressive way imaginable. Gerald, they 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 beat TCU in the hashtag Revivalry, twenty nine to twenty three. But in a field goal fiesta, in regular time, in an exercise in ineptitude, it was nine to nine at regulation, and it only got there because as they keep relying on him to come up with hit after hit like his namesake. Redshirt freshman Baylor kicker John Mayers. Uh, his leg and body was a wonderland with the 51-yard uh, 36 seconds left game-tying field goal to send it to overtime. They keep eking out wins, and it's going to make it so much sweeter when Texas beats them by 25 points.
0: I kept waiting on the score to change, and it didn't. Uh, it was like slow dancing in a burning room watching these two offenses try try to put up points but apparently there was no such thing in uh in that game on Saturday.
1: This is my favorite thing. I could do this for an hour. We need a podcast where we I went to the John Mayer concert in Houston a couple weeks ago. I feel no shame about that. It was wonderful. Uh, some have, you know, half of my heart. He has the whole thing. Um, you know, it, it it makes me think back to the, the Sugar Bowl last year and, and why Georgia really set Texas uh, back on the path to where they, they need to be. I can go, like, Guys, tune out. Come back in ten minutes. Gerald and I will still be doing this. No, we will. We will move on. But that, that we mentioned those two teams because there are big implications, right? The basically Big Twelve championship right now is a three-team race with with UT kind of on the outside looking in, as standing sit now, but with a with a defined path and some control over their destiny, or at least to the fact that they know what they must do and what they must do if they want to play for a Big Twelve championship game is beat. All three teams that remain, obviously Iowa State. We talked about Baylor next week, and then Texas Tech. And it's that plus they must also have some outcomes happen. The 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 most likely is if OU beats Baylor, um, then wins out the rest. Again, that's still an if. But if OU beats Baylor, that puts Texas in 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 the kind of rightful path um, where if OU wins out and it's eight and one, and Baylor and UT are both seven and two, or even if OU loses. Um, I believe one one of those games, let's say Bedlam. Um, they'd all be seven and two, and there would be tiebreaker rules where OU has over Texas, Texas is over Baylor, and that is your two teams in another Big Twelve matchup. However, if Baylor beats OU, and we're going to presume here in that scenario, they they then um, beat KU. Um, they the the Baylor UT game gets very interesting. Just for the sake of it, because Baylor could be uh, seven and two with a tiebreaker over UT or eight and one with a, or excuse me, eight and one with a tiebreaker over UT or seven and two if they lose to uh, lose to OU. So that game gets really, 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 really serious when you think about how Big Twelve tiebreakers happen, and that has never happened to us in the past, Gerald. Can you think of any scenario where Big Twelve tiebreaker rules came into effect and it didn't make Longhorns happy?
0: No, never. Can't can't think of anything other than. Uh, when Texas should have played for a national championship. Wait, what?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so we don't want that. So the easiest way to do that is OU take care of business and beat Baylor in the, I believe, game day is there, the game day uh, game this week in Waco, uh, and UT beat everyone who gets put out.
0: I mean, Texas could win out and OU lose to uh, OSU. Baylor beats OU, and then uh, Oklahoma State beats OU, which would just be great. I would just love to see that. If OU lost three games in conference play and Texas got to beat the snot out of Baylor twice in a year for a conference championship, it would feel great.
1: That, that is the, the, the darkest timeline, and I'm all the way here for it. I'm, I'm 100%. That's not dark. That is bright. <laughs> You're right. I'm 100% for it. Speaking of bright, though, Gerald, there was a bright, shining star um, up in the, the DFW, um, rebounding from the first loss of the season, Boosh, Shane Bouchelle, QB2, um, repounded in a very spectacular way, 33 for 46 for 414 yards and five touchdowns for SMU to beat East Carolina. So, who really won the battle of Lincoln Riley?
0: I got nothing, uh, but Bush continues to be impressive.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, you definitely won the battle of Lincoln Riley, but no, that, uh, that I'm so happy for him because you know they had the hopes of being the spoiler in the playoffs, but still he doesn't need that to be uh to be a a big bad man. And speaking of big bad men, the um the Arkansas Razorbacks are without a man leading the team, uh, at least one who's done it before because Chad Morris becomes the second coach in 2 weeks in power 5 former power teams to uh to get let go. Um Aggie Chad, as some know him, again is is a bright guy. had a had a great time as an assistant, not so much as a uh, as as the main thing. It really is fun. It's not a rivalry that everyone knows or thinks about or, or internalizes as much. But I enjoy watching Arkansas be terrible and have terrible things happen to them. Only at a level behind OU, A and M, Kansas State. Because come on, um, they're right in there. Maybe next uh, next team up.
0: I think firing a coach after two seasons says way more about the school and the organization than it does uh, the coach himself. Now that being said, Chad Morris was an absolute tire fire and it uh, was really, really wasn't getting any better. So if you're Arkansas, you know, what are you doing And the, the inflated sense of expectations on some fan bases, including ours, sometimes is really frustrating because it causes things like coaches to get sacked after two years.
1: Yeah, that's, that, that's for sure. Tough. So uh, sorry, pig suey. Speaking of the SEC, there was a game that that, that we all enjoyed watching on on a day when Texas basketball and Texas football beat ranked teams. The, The sweet trifecta of that day being perfect was also Alabama Crimson Tide lost a game. They lost a game in the most big 12 of ways while Baylor and Texas Tech were playing SEC football scoring 9 points each in regulation, the uh Bama late to the the Big 12 party gave up 46 scoring 41 themselves. It's just it is very funny to watch the narrative flip from SEC fans about why defense is overrated and it should be, you know, spread offenses are all the rage. But Joe Burrow, LSU, each the best in the country.
0: Joe Burrow won the Heisman in that game. Like, dude was just absolutely nails, and I think it's really, uh, I think it's really telling that LSU scored more points on Alabama than they did on Texas. It's it's really um, it's a thing, Kyle. It's really it's maybe like the the defenses in the SEC weren't that good, but they didn't have any competent quarterback play. If a guy like uh, Greg McElroy won a national championship with a vaunted uh sec team wait what did i say something i kind of blacked out there for a second you,
1: you said a lot of things gerald none of them were wrong but i'll just say this it's not fair to compare the alabama defense because obviously okay texas gave up a little more but clearly this is one of texas's best defenses in school history right uh
0: no they are um they at least two weeks ago were on pace to be the second worst in school history
1: oh okay so as bad as it's ever been for texas is still better than, than alabama okay i got it that's good all right so uh so wrapping up here we'll, we'll we'll touch on the the nfl my my starting point here is my boy good friend of the pod I hope he listens He should be listening sam uh good human being one of the best just longhorns to ever live sam Acho back in the NFL, signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It, it was sweet to watch his brother gush over it. I love brothers who, who ride for each other, man. He was, uh, was posting on social media how excited he was for Sam. Happy to see him back in the big show.
0: Good to see it. Also, good to see Puna Ford sack old Garoppolo in, uh, in Monday Night Football. I, just, I, I love I, – Kyle, we're, I'm not normally a pat myself on the back guy, but you and I said somebody was going to make a lot of money By drafting Puda Ford late, they didn't end up having to draft him. They signed him as a... uh a priority free agent, and he has just—I don't know—been one of the best defensive tackles uh, in the league in his first two years. I'm not—I'm not saying you and I are, are good, Kyle. I'm just saying that maybe we know a little bit about a little bit.
1: A little bit of something, yeah. The uh, the the kind of Texas Bowl. I think actually the Texas Bowl is saved for when the Seahawks play the Ravens, but a lot of Texas uh, components in the Monday Night Football um, game this week uh, with uh, Kyle Shanahan coaching the 49ers and all of our uh, all of our good friends there. Uh, on the on the Seahawks. So um, it gives us something to do on Sundays and Mondays, the university that keeps on giving. That's it for Burn Orange Lenses this week.
0: And that's it for us. It's all we got for you this week. You can connect with us anywhere where you find podcasts. You can also connect with us on social media. Kyle, where can they find you on the internet?
1: You can find me at Kyle Carpenter on the Twitter machine. You can also follow the Texas pregamer at texas pre-gamer
0: you can follow me on twitter i am at gh goodrich follow the show on twitter at longhorn pod shoot us an email longhorn republic pod at gmail.com thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend until next time hook em.
1: hook 'em. hook also on your polo